Hi, you're listening to iiPod, the official podcast of the Duke Lemur Center in Durham, North Carolina. I'm Matt Bortz, Curator of Fossils at the Duke Lemur Center. And I'm Megan McGrath, Education Programs Manager at the Duke Lemur Center. Hi, Matt. Hi, Megan. So, what are we talking about today and this season? We started with the weirdest lemur, the I.I. And then our second season... We went with the opposite end of the spectrum, the most familiar lemur, the ring-tailed lemur that we all know and love. Uh, This season, we are tackling a bit more of a challenging topic and a really wonderful, fascinating lemur that is very important to the lemur center, which is... The Shafak. Specifically... The cockerel shafak. I should note that the word shafak, by the way, is not spelled the way it sounds to a English like speaker or listener. It is a Malagasy word, S-I-F-A-K-A. And the cockerel shafak is an animal that is not like the ai, not something you commonly see in zoos. It's an animal that has not traditionally done a great job in captivity. It's interesting that we have a lot of cockerel shafak at the lemur center, and that's not an accident because we've had a really important role in helping to learn about how this animal behaves and also how it can survive in captivity. If you haven't heard of uh, these lemurs before, don't worry, you're not alone. They're definitely not a common animal, but there are a few places you might know them from. So what's the number one place? The most familiar is going to be Zabubafu. And so if you are a child or parent of a certain age, you would be familiar with the Krat Brothers. They have a whole series of shows that they've produced. Wild Kratz is one of the things that they've made. Kratz Creatures was what I grew up with. And then Zabubafu is in there too. And Zabubafu was one of the co-hosts of the show who was a Shafak. The one who spent the most time playing Zabu, as he's affectionately called on the show, was a lemur named Jovi. He was chosen because he was really, really cooperative, really sweet lemur, really great to work with. Jovian switches from being Jovian to a, basically a Muppet. <laughs> He's a puppet that that then can talk and, and run around with the Crap Brothers, and then will switch to being a live animal. And so where there's a lemur hopping around through the forest, they were all filmed at the lemur center out in our natural habitat enclosure space. Now, before we ever had a Zabumafu or even a Jovian, Shafak and their relatives were living in Madagascar. As with all things in Madagascar, we're kind of limited by how much we can say from the fossil record from Madagascar. But what's interesting about Shafak is the way that they move, this vertical clinging and leaping, having long back legs and short front legs that they use to kind of spring from tree to tree, is something that we actually see in some of the earliest primates in the fossil record. And so studying how Shafak move has become really important, not just for understanding kind of how this animal as, as a group in Madagascar functions, but it also tells us something about the origins of the earliest primates and how they were using the forests around them and why it's nice to move in this very dramatic way that Shafak do that is different than what a ringtail lemur does or what a monkey does. So that's one reason why Shafak are especially important because it's part of this like unlocking some of the earliest part of the primate story. There's also where Shafak fit into the radiation of lemurs in Madagascar. They're part of a family called Indriidae. In this season, we are focusing on one of the three genera that are in this family. Genera is just a step down from family towards species. And in this family of strepsirine primates or lemurs, we of course have the Shafak, but we also have the woolly lemur. The woolly lemurs have the smallest body sizes in this family, 
And they do indeed have this short gray woolly fur that gives them their name. One of the nine species that are recognized of woolly lemurs was only distinguished and named by Western researchers in 2005, and its namesake is lemur lover, Duke Lemur Center supporter, and Monty Python founder, John Cleese. And I've always loved the idea that a vertical clinger in lemur, which is a very silly walk... (laughs) is a John Cleese reference. It's the perfect one. And another member of the Indriidae family is the truly majestic Indri. The Indries are the biggest lemurs that are still alive in Madagascar. One of the things that makes Indries different from Shafak is they don't have tails. They're a little koala-like, or they have like stubby little tails. And so it's interesting that within this group, there are these kind of pretty dramatic changes, like not having a tail versus having a tail. And part of how they communicate with each other is through this beautiful singing. It has a rhythm, like that's a recently discovered trait of the calls that they make. So it actually is singing. And it sounds a little bit like whales kind of calling to each other, only it's above ground and in the forest. Recording of those amazing calls comes to us from Patrick Ross, a researcher who worked at the Lemur Center as an undergrad. And of course, the third member of this group is our focus for this season, the Shafak. So when we say Shafak, Shafak is a word that represents basically like these long-legged, springy lemurs. But within Shafak, there are multiple species. And so it's a little bit like when we talk about big cats. Like you say big cat, and it could be a tiger or a lion or a leopard or a jaguar. And that's because all those animals are really closely related to each other. But they're different species within this larger group. If you go into older descriptions of these animals, not even that old, like 20 years ago, there were fewer species of Shafak. There's less genetic information There were fewer studies that had looked at variation in color and coat patterns and in skull shape that demonstrated how unique these different species actually were. Starting at the very top, um, so very close to the northernmost part of Madagascar, on the east coast, you have Perrier's Shafak, and they are going to be all black from head to toe. Then as we go down a little bit along the east coast, still in the north, we have the Golden Crown Shafak, also known as Tattersall Shafak, and they are really beautiful and identified by these light golden patches they have along their arms and legs, and this really pretty golden fur on the tops of their heads. Next, we have the Silky Shafak that are actually in the Sava region, which is where we actually have our DLC Sava conservation team working. And we do have a team of Malagasy folks who work specifically to learn more and track about these Silky Shafak and and protect them. They are beautiful. They are pure white and their faces have this beautiful variation in pigmentation from black skin to pink skin and all kinds of speckling patterns in between. All right, so next, uh, going down a little further in the rainforest, still on the northern side of the east coast, we have the diadem shafak, who are in the rainforests. They are going to be these really distinguishable animals with golden arms, dark patches on their upper backs and chest, and kind of black along the back and the top of their head, so a lot of kind of different color patching. They're gorgeous. 
they're really beautiful. And there was a famous diadem shavak that lived at the lemur center for quite a while. That was a species that ultimately they decided not to keep in captivity, decided they didn't do well enough. But Romeo was a very well-known diadem shavak who had a long legacy and lived for quite a while, very happily at the lemur center. Next, down the East Coast, in the rainforest still, we have Milne Edwards Shafak, and they are all black except for a really big patch of white across their abdomens. Next, down in the Spiny Forest, now we're in the southern part of the island. Will you remember we have our friends, the ring-tailed lemurs? We have Varose Shafak. They have kind of white cream-colored bodies. They've got brown on the tops of their heads and kind of patches of kind of dark brown or black along their arms and legs, sometimes on their abdomen and on the tops of their heads. Then in the middle of the West Coast, we're getting into the dry forest again. We have Vonderdecken's Shafak. They have pretty much just cream-colored bodies and really distinctive black faces. And then we have our crowned Shafak. And crowned Shafak have black fur all over their heads and along the sides of their faces that kind of gives them like gives them like a crowned kind of appearance and a little bit of red just under their chins on some of them. And there's some variation between the species, like some are bigger, like diadem shafak are pretty big compared to a cockerel shafak. They also vary in how much we know about them quite a bit. Some of these are really well studied, some of these are really understudied, and some like our friends the cockerel shafak are really well studied at the lemur center, but fairly understudied in the wild in Madagascar. They're sort of divas, something we will definitely talk about this season, but because we care for cockerel shafak at the lemur center, and they have been more studied in captivity, uh, during this episode, when we just say the word shafak, you can just please assume that we're talking about cockerel shafak. To kind of describe what these animals look like, they, like all lemurs, have luminous eyes that are very striking when you see them, and they hold their body in a very different way. They have a posture that looks a lot like a human posture, because their torso is kind of held upright, their neck is on top of that, heads facing forward. They are around two feet tall or so. They have this kind of cream-colored coat all over their body, and then these beautiful dark brown patches on the insides of their arms and the insides of their legs. We've jokingly referred to them kind of looking like they have chaps or a fancy sweater on. And these really kind of unique looking faces for lemurs too, right? Yeah, they have they have pretty short snouts, and their ears kind of like are, are like rounder, look almost kind of human in their roundedness. Like, it's I really think it's also that you can see these black ears, just the skin poking out from their kind of shorter fur around their face, which gives them a kind of a comedic look almost. They don't really walk around on all fours the way a ringtail can and does. And that is a really important distinction between the two animals, the way that Shafak move kind of on their long back legs springing from place to place and have relatively short forelimbs, which means that the way that they move around is really interesting. They can bounce around on their back legs when they're on the ground. This two-footed bounce instead of a walk. Their hips are really rotated out and adapted to kind of grabbing onto the trunk of trees. So think of them like tree huggers. They are leaping from tree to tree. They can do these impressive long horizontal leaps, but they stay vertical while they do it, so we call it vertical leaping and clinging. And that's become a really important area of research for people interested in how primates move. And it also gives uh, Shafak the nickname of the dancing lemur, and that has a direct relationship to where they're found in the wild. And so they tend to be found in trees that are have kind of this like vertical trunk. like And that they are so happy in the pine forests of Durham, North Carolina is is not an accident. Like it, it's a, a structure of the forest that is something that they're very comfortable moving around in because they kind of spring from like large structure to large structure in a way that if you think of how a, a monkey kind of clambers through the branches or a squirrel clambers through the branches, like these animals are jumping and they're powering that with their really, really powerful hind limbs. Like they kind of spring off 
with their feet and then twist their torsos in the air to land with their feet first. Like their feet are kind of the way they spring and catch themselves. And we should give special homage to those feet because Shafak feet are so impressive. They have a grip that is insane. Their their big toe is really, really long. They have these impressive circles on the end of their fingertips and their toe pads. And they just have this incredible reach and grip with those powerful back legs, right? Like they can reach all the way around trees that we can't even get close to reaching around as humans that are much bigger in size. Yeah. And you know, primates' hands and feet look pretty similar. Like we we as humans have modified our, our feet in a really dramatic kind of crazy way. And But most primates can kind of grip with their big toe. But it really is amazing like how much larger the big toe of a shafak is. Uh, compared to like their other toes. Another really important thing about Shabak environment in the northwestern dry forests of Madagascar is that you have two main seasons. You have wet season and dry season, which is different than what we experience here in, in North America. And so think of this kind of like wet season is time of plenty, dry season is time of nothing. And so that has a direct impact on the Shabak and what they eat, right? Right. Compared to the lemurs we've talked about so far, on this podcast, the shafak are the ones that incorporate the most like leaves into their diet. And looking at their teeth, the way that a shafak tooth is shaped is it it looks a lot like other primates that eat a lot of leaves. Like that that's really an important part of their diet. And they're sometimes characterized as the folivorous or like the leaf eating primates or like leaf eating lemurs. But as we will see later in this season, it's more complicated than that. And that that one of the things that makes primates such a fascinating group to study is we are a very adaptable group of animals. And so Shafakar, no no exception to that, in that there are many foods that are available to them at different times of the year that they take advantage of, but one of those that they can take more advantage of than some other species of lemur are leaves, which is convenient because leaves tend to be something that can survive through multiple seasons. They're present and kind of ubiquitous in a forest in a way that fruit can be a much patchier thing, um, whereas leaves are present in a way that Shafak are kind of built to take advantage of. Absolutely. And you see that reflected in the care we have to take of the lemurs here. You'll hear quite a bit later on about how much detail we have to put into making sure those leaves are available year-round in a place like North Carolina, where most of the leaves fall off the trees when the seasons change, and the evergreen leaves here don't have the same nutrient value that the shafak are looking for. Okay, so we've covered diet, we've covered where you find them, what they look like, uh, what about what they sound like? So one of the things that is captured in the word <laughs> for shafak is that is a imitation of the call that these animals make. They are social creatures, and animals that live in, in social groups and family groups often will have vocalizations for communicating with each other. Absolutely, and there's different types of noises. The one that is their namesake, though, is something we call a contact call, typically. So checking in with the troop, don't have visual ID on them, especially babies when they, you know, get a little left behind in the forest for the first time because they can't quite keep up. They will do this little contact call, and it sounds a bit like their name. It's kind of a shufuf, and it sounds a bit like shavak, shavak. And that's how they got their name from the Malagasy people. But there's also alarm calls. I'm not going to imitate that one for everyone's sake. It sounds kind of like a goose honking very loudly to me. It's a pretty unique lemur alarm call. A lot less shrieky, a lot more goosey than other lemurs. And one of my favorites is this really soft kind of humming, singing that uh, males will do to flirt with females as well. And speaking of talking to each other, 
how they interact with each other, we should probably talk about their social structures, right? Yeah. So the so Shafak live in groups called troops, and that's what we call groups of primates in general. And their troops, compared to ringtail lemurs, which have large troops with many individuals, many families even, kind of like interacting with each other, Shafak tend to keep it smaller, where there'll be a dominant female and her kind of immediate nuclear family, her mate um, and her daughters, and they kind of stay in this smaller group, but there is a kind of a hierarchy within that. And the dominant female is the dominant female. She decides where we're going to eat today. She decides who gets to eat when, and eventually who she'll mate with. We know all lemurs are scent markers. We know that they are very, very big on olfactory communication. Um, but one of my favorite sneaky ways of telling the cockerel shafak apart is that males have scent glands on their necks and chest. So during breeding season in particular, if you look for the greasy neck of the male <laughs> lemur, you will know which ones are the boys, which ones are the girls, because the males are typically following behind the females. Females will go up to the trees. They will use the scent gland under their tail, so they'll kind of be upright on the tree and kind of dragging under their tail. It basically looks like them rubbing their butt on things, but it's a little more nuanced than that. And then you'll see the male follow right behind and rub his neck directly where she was and use that scent gland on his neck area there. And that's just the beginning of a rather meticulous mating process. The actual window of ovulation for a cockroach Shafak is really, really narrow. At least what we've observed here at the Lemur Center is you're looking at like a 24 to 48 hour window sometimes. And then after that super narrow window, we have a really long gestational period, about five and a half months, because they have such specific requirements and such specific windows of time that we're working with. Lemurs in general are the most endangered mammals, even vertebrates by some classifications on the planet, just because there's so many of them. They're so important to primates, and they are very, very endangered. Unfortunately, cockerel shafak fall on the end of critically endangered, and that actually is something that updated while we were both at the Lemur Center. The IUCN Red List, that's who um, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, that's who publishes your list of who's endangered and to what degree. Um, in 2020, they published an updated list and they upgraded the cockerel shafak from endangered to critically endangered. And the main threats facing them are the main threats facing many lemurs, which is habitat loss. Um, as we know, it's not as simple as saying, oh, people are using the forest so the lemurs can't. It's very complicated. And um, we'll definitely talk to our own conservation team more about that in the future. Um, but basically it boils down to there's not enough habitat. These guys are unfortunately critically endangered, which is why we focus on what's called ex situ conservation with them, with lemurs we have here at the Lemur Center, and why we support conservation in Madagascar affecting many different shafak species, but particularly the ones who live in the Northeast where we, we work primarily. Um, and when we talk about loss of habitat, there's also like certain animals have a little more resilience to habitat loss than others to what's called habitat fragmentation, where the habitat's not totally gone, but maybe it's starting to get broken up a little bit more. Maybe it's there's not as many easy access ways into different parts of the habitat. And unfortunately, cockerel shafak are very sensitive to changes like habitat fragmentation. There's so much exciting research being done that can help the shafak. And so let's begin our deep dive into the world of these fascinating creatures. For this season, we'll be talking to a number of our colleagues here at the Duke Lemur Center, at Duke University, and other places. And so because the Lemur Center has this really important role in having been basically the, the place that first started figuring out how to 
deal with Shafak in captivity. We're going to be talking to a lot of our colleagues here at the Lemur Center. We have Melanie Curry, who is one of our uh, primate care technicians who's worked with the lemurs for many, many years. We've even got Britt Keith, who is our curator, who focuses on managing the entire population of animals and has a special role with Cockerel Shafak. But then we also have some non-Lemur Center folks as well. Yeah, so here at Duke, because the Lemur Center is part of Duke University, Dr. Gabe Yaponsic, who is a paleontologist and also a functional morphologist. So he studies how these animals move and will tell us a little bit more about how that works. And we'll be talking to Dr. Lydia Green, who is now in another role at Duke University and has done extensive research on Shafak both at the Duke Lemur Center and in Madagascar. And we'll be talking to Dr. Elaine Guevara, who has done a lot of work on lemur diversity. And we'll be talking to Malagasy conservationist and research scientist Mami Razafitsalam, who is an expert on cockerel shafak, among many other things, in the forests of Madagascar. So we have a pretty full lineup. This is actually going to be our longest season yet of iiPod. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining us on this Duke Lemur Center journey. Subscribe and discover more episodes each season. We look forward to sharing more about the Duke Lemur Center with you soon. And in the meantime, follow us on social media and visit us at lemur.duke.edu. A special thanks to Julie Bortz, who edited this episode. And thank you, and goodbye for now. From Matt. And Megan. And all the primates at the Duke Lemur Center. Duke Lemur Center.